Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 144 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Also, if you want to keep up with the release dates ahead of time or any announcements, you can follow me on Instagram at Delving Into Islam Podcast. Again, Delving Into Islam Podcast for all the upcoming announcements. Now, this podcast is literally for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you've just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim all of your life, and you know, just want to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. And with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic is literally, and I'm not exaggerating, the most important topic in delving into Islam podcast history. Since we started the podcast in 2019, I believe, up until now, all you know, previous 43 plus episodes, this is the most important one, believe it or not. This is critical. The, and by the way, the next one, so the next episode, inshallah, is, I want to say maybe as important, but it's more beneficial in terms of knowledge, in terms of the things we'll say, in terms of benefits, that will be next episode. But for now, this is yet the most important episode in all of the podcast history. Of course, you know what it is from the title. It is knowledge. You all, for those of you who've been following the podcast, who've been listening to you know all the episodes, I've been advocating for knowledge for since again since the beginning knowledge is and i can't believe i have not made any uh, or dedicated any specific episode regarding knowledge but inshallah we're here and i i believe it is again this is the most important one and it is very critical knowledge is something that now when i tell you i'm advocating for knowledge this is not just coming from me this is not my personal opinion of course it is my personal opinion but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to pursue knowledge, beneficial knowledge, to seek knowledge, and to benefit people with knowledge, to share your knowledge with everyone else, like I'm doing, alhamdulillah, right now. The sole purpose of this podcast is for me to share my knowledge with you. That's it. And hopefully, with the right intentions, I receive rewards for doing so from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is critical. Knowledge can destroy the world. Knowledge can build a better world from scratch. Knowledge is a double-edged sword. It could be very, and again, it is the most powerful tool a human being can possess. Wallahi, there is no exaggeration about this statement. Knowledge is the most powerful tool that a human being can possess because you could use it to achieve greatness. 
and I mean greatness. Or you could use it to literally achieve destruction, to achieve corruption. It, it is what it is. That, is. that is knowledge. Allah gave us knowledge. And now our, it, it is our choice now to either use it for good or use it for evilness and, you know, bad things. Now, and I'm going to inshallah get into how knowledge is the most powerful tool. We're going to get into examples inshallah. But I want to start by saying this. Everything we do in existence in this life stems from knowledge. If you think about it for a second, you're sitting right here right now listening to this podcast because of knowledge. Yeah, think about it. First of all, there won't be no delving into Islam. I'm I'm pretty sure there will be other podcasts out there, but there won't be no delving into Islam if I didn't have knowledge to share with you. It'll be just a useless podcast. It'll be just me saying meaningless stuff, right? So that is the, the, the inception of this podcast comes from knowledge. How to, look at this. Now let's go, let's get technical for a second. How to record a podcast, how to, you know, edit a podcast, how to upload it to, you know, the host website, how to spread it and distribute it throughout, you know, all the podcasting platforms that all requires knowledge. If I I do all this, alhamdulillah, by myself, if I did not have knowledge, none of that will be possible. Again, there will be no podcast. Guess what? If the people who have, again, let's talk about other podcasts, who, again, didn't have knowledge, didn't know what they were talking about. I know there are some useless podcasts out there. I'm pretty sure there are people who just have podcasts for like entertainment purposes, just talking about random stuff, not necessarily coming from knowledge. But again, even those podcasts that you might quote unquote say that they're maybe not beneficial, guess what? It requires knowledge to upload those podcasts to show them to the rest of the world. Now, this is on my side. On your side, you would not be sitting and listening to this podcast without knowledge that this podcast exists. Whether you obtain that knowledge through browsing through the internet, heard it from someone else, or any any way that you have heard about this podcast or learned about this podcast, it's knowledge. You receive knowledge. How to even operate, to listen, to have to click on your phone and, you know, listen to the episode. It requires knowledge. I'm not exaggerating. Think about it for a second, Wallah. Everything we do in life stems from knowledge. It's a product of knowledge. Now, whether these things are good or bad, like you can say that all the harmful, terrible social media stuff that people post, again, coming from knowledge. They know how to post these things. They know that people like those, again, useless, terrible things, and they get clicks, they get views. It's all, again, knowledge could be good, could be bad. Knowledge in itself is a good thing, but then you could take that knowledge and turn it into something evil, or you could take that knowledge and turn it into something great. People who, again, I'm going to give you a live, again, this is just a very simple example. You're going to work or you're going anywhere, any destination. It requires knowledge. You will never be able to know where you're going 
without knowledge. For example, you need the knowledge of knowing where you're going. What is the destination? You need the knowledge of knowing, let's say you're commuting, how to get to your commute, how to get to your bus, how to get to your train station or whatever. You need the knowledge to know how to pay for it. And then once you get off the bus or you get off the train, you need to know how to walk to that place. All of that requires knowledge. Now, let's say that you're using your car, GPS, your phone, or you know the, G- the built-in GPS in the car. You need knowledge to know how to operate the GPS. The people who created your car or who created the individual separate, you know, independent GPS, they needed knowledge to know how to create this. Every little thing in this existence, in this life, comes from knowledge. It's that simple. For example, let's let's talk about the life cycle of, of this life, like our life cycle. We are born, then we live our lives, then we die. No one can disagree, even atheists, by the way. They cannot disagree that every single human being is born, they live a specific or certain amount of time, then they die. Now, living, the living part, the, 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 the middle phase, if you want to call it, the after, you know, after being born and before dying, that middle phase, that's the only phase that we have control of, by the way. You do not have control of you being born. You do not have control for the most part how to die. You have control in the middle. Some people I know commit suicide. They chose how to die. But I'm talking about for the majority of, of the majority of cases of, you know, mankind or human beings, people don't control when they're going to die. Now, the only part that you have, you have control over is living. You can never survive that phase, which is the living phase, without knowledge. For Muslims, let's add one for the Muslims, for the believers. You can never prepare for your death without knowledge of the religion. We're talking about now the religion. In general, you cannot survive living. You cannot survive this life without knowledge. Wallah, you can't. It's like you're like an empty vessel. Imagine this. Your brain is an empty vessel. You you won't survive. For Muslims now, for believers, there's a, we'll take it a step further. You can never prepare for your hereafter without knowledge. As a matter of fact, many of you, mashallah, are reverts, right? Or thinking about reverting to Islam, becoming Muslims. You would never be in that state, in that phase of your, in, in your life. For, for example, being a new Muslim or thinking about being a new Muslim without knowledge. You started researching Islam. You started thinking about Islam. You started, okay, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, in, in, in this religion, that doesn't make sense. But Islam, oh my God, Islam has the answer for this. And you get re- you start researching. You start looking up because you want to find answers. And you'll never find answers without knowledge. And when you obtain the correct and the authentic knowledge, your whole life changes from being a non-Muslim, someone who, God forbid, would spend eternity in hellfire, inshallah, you're, you're not from those, to someone who is literally, inshallah, saved in the hereafter, at least saved in the hereafter. That doesn't mean your life will go without trials. That's not going to happen. You will always be tested. But we're talking about that. what matters is the eternal life, right? Eternal life, eternity in the hereafter. That's what truly matters. 
Imagine this, your entire life and your hereafter, they change for good because of knowledge. Because when you obtain knowledge about Islam, it makes a difference. It makes you change your mind about almost everything in life, pre-Islam. Now you see things in different light. Wallahi, wallahi, this is insane. Like I've talked to, alhamdulillah, many reverts, and it's insane how they see the world now. Everything makes sense. And when certain things don't make sense, they know that if it's coming from Allah, Allah has a wisdom. They have the answer to almost everything. And the things that they do not have an answer to, they have faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they do not even try to bother. This is They live a peaceful life because of knowledge. And inshallah, they will have a blessed, beautiful hereafter also because of knowledge. Now, within Islam itself, within Islam itself, you cannot practice Islam. You cannot be a practicing Muslim without knowledge. Like, if you don't know how to pray, how are you going to fulfill that command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How are you going to pray if you don't know how to pray? If you actually didn't know that you needed to pray, you'll never pray. Do you understand? Knowledge, wallahi, is the source of everything. And the source of knowledge is Allah. Again, knowledge, look at this hierarchy. Knowledge, let's start in the middle. Knowledge is the source of everything. And the source of knowledge is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah possesses the knowledge. Knowledge actually comes from Allah. Allah does not obtain knowledge. I need okay. This is this is critical. I want you guys to understand this because what differentiates between a believer and everyone else is that they don't understand this concept. They think that Allah is like us. Allah obtains knowledge. Well, Allah obtains knowledge from whom? From who? Who taught Allah things? No one. Okay, if no one taught Allah anything, if no one gave Allah any type of knowledge, then what is the source of knowledge? It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Basically, Allah created the definition of everything. This is actually manifested in the chapter of Baqarah. And we're going to get into this couple of verses in the chapter of Baqarah. But when the angels refused, or they didn't refuse, but they kind of argued or they were not acceptable of the idea of cre- the creation of Adam, what did Allah do to prove them wrong? Now, Allah was not taking their permission. We're going to get into, we're going to explain that story, I believe, inshallah, in, in, in a few minutes. But for now, when the angels said, oh, but... Mankind, you want to create people who have the freedom of choice? They're going to kill each other? They're going to corrupt earth? You don't need them. You have us who will, we will never disobey you. Why would you need someone who would disobey you? Then Allah gave him just a sample of his knowledge, of the power of his knowledge. When he taught Adam the names of everything. Before the creation of Adam, Angels would look at a tree and they would not know that it's called a tree. Can you imagine? The names of things were not taught to the angels before the creation of Adam. Like angels would look at a, the ocean and they wouldn't know it's called the ocean. Allah taught Adam the names of everything. Then he told Adam, go فأنبئهم بأسمائهم. Tell them the names of everything. So again, back to the definition of everything, the names of everything, 
the source of that is Allah. Allah did not obtain that knowledge. Allah is the source and will always be the source of knowledge. So if you want to, this is actually a very fascinating way of thinking about it. If there is a source of knowledge, if knowledge comes from somewhere, it's coming from Allah. Allah defined all the knowledge in the world that you know of right now. And of course, we do not know of. Every single aspect of knowledge is defined by Allah. Allah created the concept of knowledge. Now, back to the hierarchy. So knowledge is the source of everything. The source of knowledge is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here's the beautiful part about being a Muslim. The best source of knowledge. So we say that between Allah and knowledge, Allah is the source of knowledge. Now Allah gave us one big source of knowledge, which is what? Quran. So knowledge is the source of everything. Quran is the best source of knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the source of all knowledge. And of course, he is the source of the Quran. Do you see how it works? And I want you to imagine it. Think about it this way. Look at it as, a, uh, as if it's like a hierarchy chart. In the bottom is everything that you know mankind knows, everything that mankind created, all the evolution of mankind, if you want to call it, in terms of like technology, literature, everything, everything in mankind. Now, look at it this way. This is in the bottom of the chart. Now, the source of that, if you want to go one step up, is knowledge. Knowledge creates, like I said, the GPS, uh, the, 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 the technology to create a podcast, right? This is the source of all of that. This is all the, the technology, the GPS, all these things are in the bottom, the, the last level. Now, the level before is the source of that knowledge, which is knowledge. Now, a level higher than that, a level above that is knowledge. Knowledge is the source of everything that we create. Now, go one step further. The source of, the best source of knowledge, if you want to call it, is the Quran. Now, the Quran does not talk about GPS. Quran does not talk about, you know, the technology to make podcasts. But we're talking about the best source of knowledge. There are other sources of knowledge. But the best source of knowledge is the Quran. By the way, and we're going to get into the, 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 the Muslim scholars who were basically scientists who created math. Algebra, for example who created astronomy. These are all Muslims who combine the religion with science. But again, for the sake of talking about the hierarchy, the best source of knowledge that exists on the face of this earth is the Quran. Now, the source of the Quran and the source of knowledge in general is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's on top of that hierarchy. Nothing is on top of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah did not obtain knowledge from anyone or from any source. Allah created and defined knowledge. Isn't that fascinating? Well, it's fascinating. Now, through Quran, Allah defined for us our manual. You want to live in this life? You want to have a good life? You want to have a better hereafter? Follow that manual, which is the Quran, which is the one of the, it is the best source of knowledge. There are, like I said, there are other sources, but the best source of knowledge, Quran. Quran is important to tell us about history that matters. Previous nations, what they did wrong and how can we not follow into their footsteps and what the origins of mankind, that's why it's critical. It is the most important source of knowledge, the origins of mankind, the origins of existence. 
the purpose in life, our purpose in life, the purpose of life itself, not just our purpose in life. Also, in the, this is all in the Quran, the purpose of creating life. How everything will end, aka the day of judgment. What can we do to be saved on the day of judgment and be saved from hellfire and enter paradise? You tell me, is the, isn't that the best source of knowledge ever and the most important one? That's why the reason why we're living is because of the things in the Quran. How to survive this life, how to have a better or a safe hereafter. Along with that, Allah gave us a very powerful source of knowledge, which is what? That's like related to now worldly stuff, technological stuff, intellect. Intellect. Intellect comes from who? Comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's I said. Every source of knowledge comes from Allah. That's why when, for example, the Wright brothers uh, were you know, planning on creating the first airplane, they are the ones who created the first uh, airplane ever, the concept of flying. Allah gave them tools, gave them intellect, and they used it to create the first airplane. The reason why, by the way, I'm mentioning this because I was actually at their monument uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, it was it was very amazing. It was fascinating, by the way, in, in North Carolina. It was it was fascinating, and and that one while I was in the monument, I kept thinking, this is this is fascinating, but it's all coming from Allah. Some people would call them geniuses. Well, who gave them that brain? Who gave them that intellect? That intelligence? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is in itself a source of knowledge. Like the source of knowledge is not necessarily a book or a written text. It could be intellect, intelligence, because it makes you think, it makes you create formulas, it makes you observe this nature. That's how they were observing a bird and the bird was you know, flapping its wings and they came up with the idea like that. Of you know creating an airplane. That is the source of knowledge, their intelligence. And you know, measure on that the people who created electricity, Edison, you know, lights, lamps, those who created computers, all these things. Now, again, intelligence could be used, which is a source of knowledge. By the way, intelligence, let me let me tell you this. This is critical. Intelligence on its own is not beneficial knowledge because you're going to come up with your own theories based on nothing, based on no previous knowledge, you will fail. Like I said, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the example with the Wright brothers. They had intelligence. They had the brains. But do you think they didn't study anything? They didn't study physics. They didn't study. They didn't have no science, no knowledge of anything, and they just came up with a concept? Of course not. Of course not. They were, you know, that they started as they were making printers. They literally made their own printers to give it to, you know, newspapers and, and things like that. Then they began to ride bicycles. Then they began to fix bicycles, to repair bicycles. Then later on, they started building bicycles. So they were basically, they had, in today's world, they had a, a major in mechanics. And physics. They had a major in mechanics. And later on, so they had previous knowledge. It's not like they 
were, again, their brains were empty. They saw a bird. They were like, oh, now we can make an airplane. No, it doesn't work that way. You need previous knowledge, but also as a, an important source of knowledge is your intellect. Your brain can come up and create, but you cannot create from nothing. My dear brothers and sisters, learn this. You, mankind, human beings, can never create from nothing. Only Allah can. You can never create from nothing. You can put one and one together. You can start building theories. You can, based on all previous knowledge, and then you can come up with a creation. But that creation comes from a previous knowledge, current knowledge, a mix of both. It doesn't matter. It comes from knowledge, not from nothing. So that is the big difference, of course, among massive differences between our creation and Allah's creation. Allah can create from nothing whenever he wants. Human beings can never create from nothing. You remember the this very interesting debate? I, I believe it was an atheist who kind of was trying to prove that I can create a life. Then he got a piece of meat, put it in a jar. It was rotten. Then little by little worms started to come out of that piece of meat. He said, see, here you go. Here you go. I created worms. There were no worms in this jar before. Now there are worms. I created life. It's laughable because if you think about it, yeah, you created worms from what? You The concept is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates from nothing. Allah created Adam from what? From clay, from mud that Allah created. <laughs> Allah created Adam from mud, from nothing because Allah created the mud in the first place. That atheist or that whatever scientist what did he do he got a piece of meat that was created by Allah he got a jar that was created by humans who basically got the idea eventually from Allah then he put it in a jar waited for it to rot and with all the bacteria all the that was that bacteria were created by Allah then worms started to come out and he's like well I created from nothing no you didn't you absolutely did it. You create. You had everything already created for you, for you. And first of all, knowledge that you had to know how to do this came from Allah. See, Allah does not need any of this to create. So yeah, it's just very fascinating, Subhanallah. So anyway, how to live your life as a Muslim must be built on knowledge. Like I said, how to pray. If you have no knowledge, you'll never pray. How to even read and recite Quran? You need knowledge. How to understand Quran? You need knowledge. How to perform fasting? How to perform hajj? How to pay charity? How much and to who? All this comes from knowledge. And this is now the essential stuff. They come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Quran and the sunnah. You know the Prophet before he passed away, he said what? There is nothing. This is a beautiful hadith. There is nothing that would take you to Jannah that I didn't tell you about. Nothing that would take you to Jannah that I did not mention or tell you about. And there is nothing that would have taken you or would take you to hellfire that I forbade you from doing. So basically the Prophet is saying every piece of knowledge you need to go to Jannah, I gave it to you through the Quran and through his Sunnah. That's also coming from Allah. Remember? And any piece of knowledge 
that you possess to avoid hellfire, the Prophet also gave it to us. Coming from who? The source, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have no excuses, basically. The Prophet is telling us. You cannot come up with anything after the death of the Prophet and say, oh, this could take me to paradise. No. Everything that would take us to paradise, the Prophet told us about. Everything that would lead us to hellfire, the Prophet forbade us from doing. Now, for those of you who do not know, Quran is not chronological. Meaning, the first chapter in the Quran was not revealed first. The Prophet organized the Quran, ordered the Quran and the chapters in a very specific way. But it was never ordered in a chronological order. So the chapter of Fatiha was not the first chapter to be revealed. The first verse, this is a nice trivia uh, you know, uh, trivia piece of information for you if you're, you know, sitting with your friends and they don't know that. The first verse to be ever revealed in Islam, before the Prophet was became officially a prophet. The Prophet was sitting in, in his cave and then Angel Jibreel came down to him, uh, taking the form of a man. This is all mentioned in the uh, fourth season. And he basically told them and revealed to him the literally the first verse in the Quran, which is what? In the chapter of Alaq, verse number one. So again, for those of you who do not know, the first verse to ever be revealed in Islam, the chapter of Alaq, verse number one. What does it say? It's only one word, by the way, the verse. Iqra'. Iqra'. Read or recite. This is literally the first verse in the Quran. Now, when Angel Debris came down, the Prophet was, you know, sitting down, having his peace time. He saw this man who looked very strange. Again, he took the form of a man. He was not on his true form. Walking into this tiny cave. And he told them, recite in a very sharp way and a very strong tone. So the Prophet responded, I do not know how to recite. So Ijid Jibreel goes, Iqra, recite. The Prophet was very confused and he was his heart was palpitating. He was like afraid. Who is this person? By the way, Angel Jibreel grabbed the hand of the Prophet and he basically pressed on them and he said, Iqra, recite. And Prophet Muhammad commenting on that, he said, he was too powerful. I could not even resist him. He had the super, literally the supernatural power about him. I could not even move. And the Prophet was freaking out. And the Prophet said, I cannot read or write. By the way, the Prophet, we all know, he was illiterate. And we're going to get into the wisdom why until the day he died, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept him as an illiterate. So he said, I do not know how to recite. Then for the third time, read, recite. And the Prophet said, I don't know what you're saying. Right? Now, here is, if you want to analyze, this is the birth of Islam, by the way. Guys, this was the birth of Islam. Angel Jibreel was literally telling the Prophet recite. The Prophet doesn't know. First of all, recite what? Second of all, I don't know what to recite. I, I don't know how to read. And read what? There's nothing to read from. Now, if there is nothing to recite from or read from, 
what was the purpose of telling the Prophet ﷺ, recite or read? Well, reading or reciting comes from what? From knowledge. So this is literally, on actuality, it meant learn, then recite. Learn, then recite. Again, the Prophet ﷺ knew nothing about Islam up until this point. Nothing. So recite from what? From knowledge. Basically, this is learn. This is Angel Jibreel telling him, learn. Gain knowledge, then start spreading that knowledge. You know, our Prophet ﷺ, he was illiterate like most people in Quraysh at this time. Most people in Quraysh. As a matter of fact, I believe that Ibn Sa'd reported that around 15 people in Mecca around this time, they knew how to write and read. Can you imagine? And the people, that the, the total around, the, the approximate count of the people in Mecca around the time was about 3,000 people living in Mecca. And only 15 of them knew how to read and write. And of course, the Prophet was not one of them. He was never one of them until the day he died. Now, Mecca was a land that did not have a single school. Not a single educational center or learning center. Nothing. Now, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala choose to send his final revelation to Mecca, to a place in basically filled with ignorance. Well, here's why. By the way, this is also the same reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not teach the Prophet how to read or write. Kept him illiterate until the day he died. So what are those reasons? First of all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not want people, when they hear the Prophet and they hear the revelation to say, well, He's a historian. He probably traveled, gathered information from other nations, and he's coming and pretending that it's coming from God. Allah did not want anyone to accuse the Prophet ﷺ of such thing. Also, imagine this. When the most important source of knowledge is found or revealed in the most ignorant place, or one of the most ignorant places, it shows you the miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah is capable of doing anything he wants. It manifests, it shows you the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, uh, people who accuse the Prophet وسلم, they're very minor, but they said, oh, well, no, he knew how to write and read. Uh, this whole illiteracy thing was is not true. First of all, you weren't there. Second of all, his worst enemies, by the way, the worst people, who wanted to assassinate him, who wanted to kill him, who literally said that he was a magician, he was a poet. They never said he was a liar. They all knew he was illiterate. None of them, by the way, none of them accused him of lying. His worst enemies. They knew he was illiterate since day one. He was not pretending. No one taught him how to read and write. Like, no, everyone knows. It was like common knowledge. That's why no one, no one accused him of lying. But unfortunately, in today's world, we have too many arrogance who accuse prophets and messengers of lying back in the day. Because we're arrogant, because, you know, it doesn't make sense to us. So what do we say? It was a lie. Everything that does not make any sense to us, we call it a lie. Without any proof, 
without anything, without any logic. Like logically speaking, his worst enemies, if they wanted to use that against him, they would have. Instead of saying he's a magician, he's a madman, all these things, that all the names that they called him, they could have said he's a liar. He always knew how to write and read. But they know that that won't be believable by anyone else because everyone knew he was not able to write or read. So that would be a very weak kind of way of trying to, you know, uh, attack him or try to accuse him of anything because everyone knows he was illiterate. And Allah kept him that way so people wouldn't accuse him of, oh, well, he went and gathered information. He was a scientist. He was, you know, a poet. He was, and he was accused of being a poet. By the way, being a poet does not contradict being illiterate. You guys know that. Because you don't have to write poem. You can come up with words in your brain. That's why, again, the majority of Mecca, majority of the 3,000 people in Mecca, they were illiterate. They did not know how to write and read, but they were mostly poets. They were well known to have many poets. Because again, the words would come in their brains. They don't need to write it nor read it. You know, as a matter of fact, in the chapter of Juma, verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala literally confirms that the Prophet was illiterate. <laughs> In that verse, Allah is saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who sent, you know, among the illiterates, one from them, one like them, an illiterate. Also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of Ankabut, verse number 48. He's telling us why Allah, he's answering our questions. Why didn't Allah teach the Prophet how to write and read? وَمَا كُنْتَ تَتْلُو مِنْ قَبْلِهِ مِنْ كِتَابٍ وَلَا تَخُطَّهُ بِيَمِينِكِ إِذَا لَرْتَابَ الْمُبْطُلُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, if I taught you how to write and read, people will think or will start doubting, oh, that's how he knows. Because he is educated. So Allah basically saying, I'm, you will be illiterate as a sign, and the biggest miracle for people to know that this is not coming from you. It's coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, I want to continue that situation between Angel Gabriel or Angel Jibreel and the Prophet Sallallahu again, during the birth of Islam, the birth of prophethood for the Prophet Sallallahu Then Angel Jibreel, no, he kept saying, recite, recite, recite three times. And the Prophet says, I do not know, I do not know how to read or write. I do not know my Anabiqar. I do not know how to recite. I do not know how to read. Then, Angel Jibreel says, اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم Basically, Angel Jibreel was responding to the claim. The Prophet is saying, I do not know how to write and read. And Angel Jibreel knows that. Allah told him. But Angel Jibreel is telling him this. You're not going to recite a worldly recitation. You're not going to read from a worldly book. I don't care about your illiteracy. I don't care. That's not what I'm here. You're going to recite from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will give you unprecedented knowledge. And you shall recite from that knowledge, which is basically the revelation, the Quran. 
So don't worry, you're not going to read from a worldly book. You do not need to know how to write or read. Basically, that was the response. Because he said what? We are reading um, now the, by the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who created everything. You know, people were created from a piece of, of meat, a sperm, then it went to a piece of a chewed piece of meat, whatever, and then bones, and this whole process, right? Read by the name of Allah the most generous. Now let's go back to the worldly knowledge. Now you know that you're about to receive an unseen knowledge, an, a religious knowledge that is not a worldly knowledge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in case of your doubting, Allah is the one who gave us the worldly knowledge. So Allah is, again, like I said, the source of all types of knowledge, religious and non-religious. And this is coming from this verse. Read by the name of your Lord, the one who taught with the pen, which introduces the concept of writing to the Prophet that Allah is the one who taught us writing. Now, the concept of writing was before then, but we're talking about the concept that writing came from Allah was being introduced to the Prophet You know, regarding writing, subhanAllah, look at this. Animals in our world, they can communicate, they can talk, you know, they can even, you know, even plants, by the way, they can communicate, right? We believe that, you know, some trees, they communicate, they have their own language and whatnot. But only human beings are capable of writing. Think about it this way. Now, we're talking about this world. We know that angels can write too because they write our deeds, but they're not from this world. They're in the world of unseen. We're talking about our world. We're the only beings who are capable of writing. Every being, that's what separates us from them, by the way. All beings communicate, by the way. You know, go watch Animal Planet. Go watch all these documentaries about animals and, and plants and fish. They all communicate. But the only species that can actually type and write is the human species mankind and this is an honor that was given to us by by the way we take writing for granted we do but it is an honor that was given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala an honor subhanallah not a single creature other than uh, mankind or other than a human can actually write. Think about it this way. Without writing, we would be in true chaos. Do you know why? Because writing up until recently, and by the way, typing, quote unquote, typing on a keyboard is a form of writing, by the way. Writing doesn't have to be only handwritten. Writing, the concept of writing is also typing on a keyboard or on your virtual keyboard on your cell phone. This is all a form of writing. Without writing, previous knowledge, you know what, knowledge about Quran itself would never be preserved. And we would live in chaos. Like literally every generation would have to start from scratch. Because think about it, every generation that comes in now, they build on previous knowledge. How to make fancy airplanes now? It's built on the, what the uh, Wright brothers did in the first place. Then the generation after they came and they added to it. Then the generation after came and they added to it. And now you see all the 
you know, fighter jets. And this is all coming from the simplest idea back generations ago. We built, and how do you think we got that knowledge? They reserved, they preserved that knowledge in books, in textbooks. You know what I mean? This is critical. Writing, my dear brothers and sisters, is critical to save and store knowledge. You know, the Mongols used to execute the, the Genghis Khan and, and all these people. They used to execute writers, kill them. They used to execute them, kill them. Why? Not because they wanted to, you know, damage or like end reservation of, of knowledge. And No, 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 no. Here's the thing. They thought that writing is magic, is a form of sorcery. Seriously, wallahi. They literally used to tell themselves, how is it possible that someone would put his or her thoughts or an idea on a piece of paper? Then someone else comes, sees that idea, reads about it, and it transfers from that paper into your brain now. So do you see how they're looking at it? Let's say that there's person A who thought about uh, a plan, a strategy regarding, since we're talking about the Mongols, regarding war. There's a strategy going on. Now, that person did not go and speak it to everyone. It was just he kept it or she kept it for themselves. Then they wrote it on a piece of paper. Person A wrote it on a piece of paper. Then person B came in, read that piece of paper. Now they know the plan. So the Mongols, that's how they used to think about it. Person B was able to read the mind of person A because of writing. <clears throat> Do you see the, 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 the circle here, how it circulated? They believed that person B can read the mind of person A through writing. Again, because person A never spoke or announced their idea to the world or to everybody. They just wrote it down. So person B now knows what was in the mind uh, of person A. So to them, that concept was sorcery, was like witchcraft. Well, it was like witchcraft. That's why they used to execute writers. They believed that they were like a evil threat, something weird. There's a, like they're using, uh, again, witchcraft to read people's minds. Isn't that fascinating? Fascinating. So writing was always and will always be essential in preserving civilization and preserving religion and preserving everything. You know, a lot of people try to uh, claim that Quran had mistakes. Many people. And they couldn't. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like I always say, created the perfect source of knowledge. As a matter of fact, here's what's interesting. We're now in the year uh, 1445, right? Uh, uh, after Hijrah, AH. Let's say we're, like I always say, we're almost 1500 years from, you know, the birth of Islam and, you know, the beginning of the revelation. The Quran predicted things that we're recently discovering. In the chapter of Hadid, verse number 8, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? وَأَنزَلْنَا الْحَدِيدِ I brought down the iron from the sky. 
and people are using the iron to build there's a lot of benefits that comes from hadith from iron it has been discovered that iron comes from space it's not an earthly material not an earthly substance it came from outer space and it's mentioned in the quran 1500 years ago the process of giving birth the process of human beings being formed in the womb this is all mentioned in the quran way before medicine evolved way before that was even a thing knowledge about the planets knowledge the benefits of honey honey that we eat has massive benefits now again modern science modern medicine oh yeah eat honey honey is beneficial to your stomach to prevent certain stomach diseases and all these things 1500 years ago islam said all of this in the quran and people still have doubt, subhanAllah. Quran told us about many things. Again, historical things. Quran predicted the battle or who was going to win between the Romans and the Persians. The Persians at the time of the, this revelation, they were a, a, a very powerful nation. It was a powerful empire. And there was wars between them and the Romans, which is basically the Christians of the West. Now, here's the interesting part. There's actually in the chapter of a room, verse number one to verse number four. Look at this. This was before this these battles took place. Alif Lam Mim. Ghulibat al-Rum. Fi adna al-ardi wa hum min ba'di ghalbihim sayaghlibun. Allah saying, the Romans were defeated. That was the case. Again, we said that was revealed. That was already known. The, the Romans were defeated. But look at the prediction of the Quran. And after they will be defeated, they shall be victorious. They will win over the Persians. That was impossible for people to fathom at the time of this revelation. Guess what happened after? The Romans did win. They won. This shows you that Quran is coming from a divine entity that sees the future. Allah knows the future. Everything we know now was given in the Quran almost 1500 years ago. Do you guys know that Arabs use the Quran to determine the correctness of the Arabic language? Basically, the rulings in grammar in the Arabic language is based on the Quran. You know, I, I saw this interview with uh, Imam uh, Zakir Naik. Someone told him, uh, oh, I found a, a grammatic mistake in, in, in the Quran. It was a, he was a Christian, an Arab Christian. So Imam Zakir, I remember this was a very interesting uh, uh, kind of situation. He said, first of all, you can't find a mistake because your grammar, the rules that you are following came from the Quran. It was like, it's not like the rules are matching the Quran. No, 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 no. The rules of grammar in Arabic came from the Quran. So whatever you're going to say won't make any sense, but go ahead. And then he basically said something and it turns out the, the guy that, that I think he was like an Arabic language specialist uh, kind of misunderstood something and Basically, the imam corrected him. And it was very fascinating. Very, very fascinating. 
But again, how would you say there was a grammatic error in the Quran when Quran created the grammatic rulings and all the grammatic rules? Doesn't make any sense in Arabic meaning. Doesn't make any sense. People are trying so hard to prove that Quran has a mistake, a single mistake. And they couldn't. They just could not. And they will not until the day of judgment, inshallah. Let's see how knowledge is powerful even from the beginning of time, from the creation of Adam, peace be upon him. And I I told you we're going to come into this, this kind of situation between, you know, Adam, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deciding deciding to create Adam. The angels were like concerned. They were not opposed. They can't oppose. They will never disobey Allah. But they were concerned about the creation of someone who would corrupt earth because not necessarily Adam, the progeny of Adam. That's what they thought. Like, okay, someone with, you know, the freedom of choice, they could do whatever they want. And we've seen what jinn did because they jinn, they have the free. By the way, the angels did not see the future. They, the, the majority of the scholars are basically saying they compared what the jinn did on earth, which they corrupted earth. And what what is the jinn and the um, human beings have in common? The freedom of choice. They can choose to commit murder. They can choose to be corrupt. They can choose to disobey Allah. Same thing for mankind. And it's happening. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the chapter of Baqarah verse number 30, وَإِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةٌ قَالُوا أَتَجَعَلُ فِيهَا مَنْ يُفْسِدُ فِيهَا وَيَسْفِكُ الدِّمَاءِ وَنَحْنُ نُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِكَ وَنُقَدِّسُ لَكَ قَالَ إِنِّي أَعْلَمُ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Let me explain that verse. Allah saying to the angels, I decided to create mankind, Adam. So they said, oh Allah, you're going to create someone who would spread corruption? And spill blood, they will kill one another. Well, you have us now, they're not jealous. Because some people might interpret this as they were like, oh, why would you create something else? We're here, we're here. No, 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 no. They're saying you have the perfect creation, a creation that never disobeys you. Why, Allah, would you want to create a, a creation that would disobey you, that would cause harm? Then Allah said, I know what you do not know. Then, look at this now. It's all about knowledge. Allah saying, I know what you do not know. See, it's knowledge. Allah possesses the ultimate knowledge that no one can remotely possess. Then in verse number 31, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا ثُمَّ عَرَضَهُمْ عَلَى الْمَلَائِكَةِ فَقَالَ أَنْبُؤُونِ بِأَسْمَاءِ هَأُولَاءِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ like I said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam, again, knowledge. Do you see this? From the beginning of the creation, knowledge is essential. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam the names of everything, like I said. The definitions, no, not the definitions, but at least the names of everything. This is a tree. This is ground. This is sand. This is water. This is air. You know what I mean? The angels did not know any of this prior to the creation of Adam. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, okay, now I taught, I gave Adam knowledge. Now you are worried about the creation of Adam. Tell me this. What are the names of things? Tell me the names of these things. He's saying, if you have the knowledge, because you're saying, okay, we know that mankind will corrupt earth. If you have the knowledge, tell me the names of things. 
Then they realized. In uh, verse number 32, they said what? قَالُوا سُبْحَانَكَ لَا عِلْمَ لَنَا إِلَّا مَا عَلَّمْتَنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَلِيمُ الْحَكِيمُ They realized the mistake they made. Oh Allah, they realized it. It, it hit them now. We have no knowledge except for the knowledge that you gave us. We do not possess any knowledge except for the knowledge you gave us. You are the all knowledgeable and all wise. They understood the lesson. What was the lesson? I will teach Adam things and his progeny. And from them, there will be good people. They will be the elite of mankind, prophets and messengers. And they'll be terrible people. It's fine. They will be punished. But look at this. Even the terrible people, if they come back to Allah, they shall be rewarded. So there is goodness in the world. From those people, from those corrupt human beings, those who spill each other's blood, there will be prophets and messengers who will be almost perfect. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 33, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Adam, okay, now tell them the names of things. When Adam started telling them the names of everything, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them, didn't I tell you that I possess the knowledge of the unseen, things that you guys do not know, basically? I know what you show in your actions and what you hide within yourselves. That's why we always know Allah knows what's inside of us. You can lie to everyone. You can never lie to Allah. He knows. He literally sees what you're thinking. He sees everything inside of you, your heart. What does your heart feel? You can lie to, again, like I said, you can lie to everyone. You'll never be able to lie to Allah. That's why we always say, do things for the sake of Allah internally. Think about that you're doing it for the sake of Allah. Because when you do it for the sake of people, Allah knows you can never fool Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He knows the, what's hidden and what's apparent. So basically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used knowledge to make the angels understand his wisdom. Or at least a part of his wisdom. Now, also when it comes to knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, knowledge is, a matter, is not a matter of preference. Like I said, you will never be able to survive without knowledge. That's a fact. But it's also not a matter of preference. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us to seek knowledge. You know, in the chapter of Taha, verse number 114, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? وَقُلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا Allah saying, ask Allah to increase your knowledge, always. وَقُلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا Also, in the chapter of An-Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling our Prophet sallallahu that he blessed him with knowledge and taught him things that he never knew before. وَلَوْلَا فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكَ وَرَحْمَتُهُ لَهَمَّ الطَّائِفَةٌ مِّنْهُمْ أَنْ يَضُلُّوكَ وَمَا يَضُلُّونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسِهُمْ وَمَا يُضُرُّونَكَ مِنْ شَيْءٍ وَأَنْزَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ وَعَلَّمَكَ مَا لَمْ تَكُنْ تَعْلَمْ وَكَانَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكَ عَظِيمًا Allah is saying, look at this. It's this, by the way, this verse, again in chapter of Nisa, verse number 113. 
it's it, there's a lot to learn from. See, I told you this is to me the most important topic in in all of Islamic theology. Wallahi. You can extrapolate from a small verse so many wisdoms and meanings and things to learn. Allah saying, look at this. If you if Allah did not bless you with knowledge, you would have been easily misguided. Come on, my dear brothers and sisters. If you went into a debate with any about anything, does it not necessarily religious debate? And you went there without knowledge about what you're debating about. Guess what? You will lose the debate immediately. And there was a risk of you being misguided, being basically joining the other team because you have no knowledge. You'll believe whatever is being told to you because you don't know any other version basically of it. Do you know what I mean? If you do not possess knowledge, you will be easily misguided because you don't have knowledge. So you will obtain knowledge from whoever gives you knowledge. And that could be very risky because it it could be coming from the wrong sources. Which brings me to something that I wanted to tackle uh, regarding this topic, which is the opposite of knowledge, ignorance. So every single one of us has a little bit of ignorance about something, about basic, actually, as a matter of fact, about everything. We do not know everything about everything. We have some ignorance in us, right? The problem comes when your ignorance becomes far more than your knowledge, precedes your knowledge. Why? Because this could turn into a dangerous thing. So ignorance could actually become very dangerous when you decide to act upon ignorance. Again, ignorance could become very dangerous if you decide to act upon it. For example, hate crimes against Muslims. This is all coming from where? Ignorance, pure ignorance, right? This is coming from people not knowing what Islam is about, not knowing the value in you know our Islamic rulings, not knowing anything. It's all like Islam is a savage religion. It's the religion of savages. It's a violent religion. It's a misogynistic religion. It's a religion that allows men to marry four wives. It's a religion that, you know, makes you hate, tells people, Muslims, to hate the Christians and the Jews. It's a religion that does this. It's a religion that does that. Now, this is in itself is a problem. And they take certain verses out of context, right? You see this all over, you know, the news. And they say, this is problematic, not knowing what the verses mean, not knowing the context, right? When the verses were revealed, not knowing any of that. And this is again called ignorance. Now, this is, like I said, problematic in itself because you're harming yourself now. You're basically are ignorant and you're feeding yourself the wrong information. Now, the problem becomes worse when you decide to act upon that. When you decide to go and attack Muslims because you think, based on your ignorance, that they are dangerous, that they are going to harm your society, that they have a problem with you and they want to you know, go and attack you and your family. And it makes you act foolishly, right? But more than foolishly, it's actually dangerous. You could harm someone. Now, some might say, no, 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 you're wrong. The majority of the attacks on Muslims, and again, I'm taking just one example, right? Is because of hate, not because of ignorance. Well, where do you think hate came from? They keep reading all these fake interpretations about Islam, about the Quran, 
and they become hateful. They start hating the Muslims because they're getting the wrong information, which is another, by the way, form of ignorance, misinformation. MashaAllah, we're seeing it right now with the with the Palestinian situation with Israel. Come on, misinformation. Oh, no, no, Israel is defending themselves. Come on, they're victims. They're victims. It's all misinformation. And because people are unaware of the actual situation, people are uneducated about this. Again, they're ignorant about this situation. Again, this is all coming from ignorance. Then, here's the problem. They're ignorant, right? They're, te- they're saying the wrong thing. They don't know what they're talking about. They'll still argue with you that you're wrong. And this is the height of danger when it comes to an ignorant person. When they are ignorant and they believe 100% that they are educated. See how knowledge could change the balance? Knowledge could be a great beneficial thing. The lack of it is incredibly dangerous or could be incredibly dangerous. Some people are ignorant and they're still minding their own business. However, you're eventually, because you're ignorant, right? You're getting your information from somewhere. And if you're not seeking the information with sincerity yourself, whoever comes and tells you lies, you're going to believe them. The chances are high when it comes to that. And eventually you're going to have some resentment, maybe to the wrong side, and you're going to develop hate. If, if you see the amount of people, alhamdulillah, many people, like I said in uh, in the episode a couple of days ago, about uh, or two days ago, I believe, the addressing the, the Palestinian situation, I said what? One of the good things is that people are rising and understanding and waking up. This is all knowledge. Knowledge is critical for our existence, for our coexistence. People are realizing the truth. And that is the power of knowledge. But if you look on the other side, those who still have hate for the Muslims, it's coming from ignorance. And here comes the misinformation. If you are ignorant, you're susceptible to believe any misinformation coming your way. You know, the Israeli propaganda. And again, I'm not trying to make this episode about the Israeli conflict. I'm just giving you a live example. This is actually happening right now as I speak to you guys. Propaganda, saying things were victims, look at it. Uh, you know, look at us, we're we're victimized and all, you know, the, the Israeli certain people or spokespeople, whatever, they, they come and they act like they are, they've been victims for years, but the truth is the complete opposite. Now, educated people, they know what's going on. That's the difference, by the way. Someone who's educated, someone who read, someone who verified the information. They're like, you're lying. Come on, this is, this is all, are you serious right now? And you see, this is, Increasing, alhamdulillah. This is a good thing. However, the other side now is what? Really? Oh my God! The the, the Palestinians have been murdering, uh, you know, children and uh, you know uh, civilians. Yeah, but you know, we've been bombing them just to retaliate. That's all. We're going to war. Remember? We're not targeting them. We're not killing civilians. Those those buildings are empty. We did not kill anyone. And if you're ignorant. And if you are lacking the will to know the truth, what happens? You're lazy, right? You're going to believe it right away and then you're going to develop hate. And that becomes very, very dangerous. Like, you know, when COVID happened, people who were ignorant, what did they do? Started attacking all Asians. All Asian people were attacked by, because of COVID. How is that related? God knows. Again, ignorance leads to hate. And hate leads to committing a crime. 
it's a very very dangerous trait to have to become ignorant please if you feel like there's something that you don't understand something that you're uneducated of or about right learn seek knowledge and verify that's all what i always tell you guys verify the information coming your way always you know that that's why i always say on the podcast do not let society and public schools and other people teach your children about god do not let them teach your children about gender do not let them teach your children about sexuality do not let them teach your children about philosophy and life let them teach them you know academic stuff math you know uh, science no problem but the morals in life who is god do not let it come from them let it come from you because if you're following allah's guidance you have the right and accurate knowledge you possess the correct knowledge then it's safe for you to teach your children but letting them learn this and and i always mention this to the people who don't want to talk to their children at an early stage when they're like a little bit young they say we cannot talk about this is so taboo that we cannot even talk to our children about you know gender uh, identity issues in, in our society we cannot talk about this sexuality come on my children are still young well good luck with that because society will talk to your children and guess what this is the perfect example your children they possess no knowledge from you or from your spouse so guess what they could easily be misguided by others when others tell them give them information or give them knowledge the wrong knowledge about these things they will accept it because they have no previous knowledge about it. So that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in this little verse, subhanAllah. When you do not possess knowledge, you could be easily misguided. Then Allah says, وَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ وَعَلَّمَكَ مَا لَمْ تَكُنْ تَعْلَمُ You, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, gave you the book, the Qur'an, and gave you the wisdom with the Qur'an because what comes with knowledge? Wisdom. And taught you what you've never learned or never never been taught before. And that was one of the greatest blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon you. Now this goes to us too, by the way. We learn the Quran through the Prophet, but it's coming from Allah. We learn the Sunnah from the Prophet, but it's coming from Allah. We learn about our religion, about our origins, about our purpose in life, about the purpose of life, about how this world would end, about the day of judgment. What are we going to do to avoid punishment in the day of judgment? What can we do to avoid punishment in the hereafter? What we can we do to avoid punishment in the grave after we're buried, way before the day of judgment? What can we do to have a pleasant life in the hereafter? What can we do to have a pleasant life in this life? This is all fadl from Allah, a blessing from Allah that He gave the Prophet and He commanded the Prophet to give it to all of us, all of mankind, not just the Arabs, like some people would say. This the Prophet was sent rahmatan lil alameen as a mercy for all of mankind. Everything you know about everything comes from Allah. So receiving knowledge is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As a matter of fact, the Prophet mentions in a hadith, a beautiful hadith, wallahi. The Prophet said what? مَنْ يَرِدُ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُهُ فِي الدِّينِ The Prophet saying, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants good for you, He will make you knowledgeable in the religion. My dear brothers and sisters, if you're listening to the podcast, this is 
Allah sending you blessings. Wallahi, I am blessed to get my knowledge from scholars, from the books of Sirah, from the books of Hadith, from the tafsir of the Quran, the interpretations of the Quran. This is also Allah's blessings upon me from listening to scholars. That means Allah wants good for you. And I'm say, not saying this because you're listening to my podcast. Anything you learn, anything you hear, anything you watch regarding Islam, anything you read, Allah is sending blessings to you. This is what the hadith applies to you. Man Allah wants good for you. So he's sending you knowledge. Appreciate it. Wallahi. Now this also applies directly to Reverts or converts. Allah chose you, my dear brothers and sisters in Islam, to not just send you knowledge, but to make that knowledge change your heart, change your mind, change your lifestyle, and you become a Muslim. This is an honor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, some people back in the, in the time of the Prophet they thought that them being Muslims was an honor for the Prophet or for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you imagine? Like they would talk in arrogance. And I'm going to get into the whole arrogance part about knowledge in a second. But they were basically talking in a way that, hey, we're now Muslims, you should be happy. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately responded to them in the chapter of Hujurat, verse number 17. يَمُنُّونَ عَلَيْكَ أَنْ أَسْلَمُوا Allah is addressing the Prophet They are basically taunting you and telling you, hey, you should be happy that we became Muslims. They're basically telling you that they're doing you a favor. Subhanallah. Tell them now, Allah is telling the Prophet to go and tell those people, you did not do me any favor by being Muslims. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing us a favor, my dear brothers and sisters. We're not doing him any favors. We're not doing him any favors, Wallahi. Some people believe that or used to at least believe that, when they are Muslims, they're doing the Prophet ﷺ a favor. So Allah's responding, you are doing me no favors. It's actually on the contrary, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, I'm doing you a favor by making you Muslims and believers. You know, there's a beautiful hadith, and it's a very famous hadith, by the way, in Islam. I don't know if, if many of you know this. But the, uh, narrated by Abu Huraira, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him, that the Prophet said, إِذَا مَاتَ إِبْنِ آدَمْ إِنْقَطَعَ عَنْهُ عَمَلَهُ إِلَّا مِنْ ثَلَاثٍ The Prophet said, when the child of Adam, meaning when a human being dies, their deeds are done, are cut off. That's it. There are no more rewards, no more deeds to be accepted. They can't do anything. They're dead. Except for three things. So there are three categories of things. If you do, 
even when you are dead and buried underground, you will still be receiving rewards for them. What are those three deeds? Sadaqatun jariya. أو علم ينتفع به أو ولد صالح يدعو له. So the Prophet said, the first thing is a continuous charity. If you build a charity and it's continuous even after you died, you will still be reaping the rewards from that charity. Continuous صدقتن جارية. أو علم ينتفع به. Look at the importance of knowledge now. When you teach someone beneficial knowledge, mainly about Islam, but if it's beneficial for mankind, it's still you're going to get rewarded for it, but mainly religious knowledge, authentic Islamic knowledge. So if you teach someone the religion or any beneficial knowledge, again, preferably religion, when you die, if they are using that knowledge in their lives and if they're teaching it to someone else, that reward is continuous. You're going to keep... Imagine this. You're dead. There's no more praying. There's no more zakat. There's no more fasting. Nothing. You're dead. But you still be rewarded for that. And wallahi, that is inshallah my main purpose of this podcast. And the third, uh, the third thing that... The third category or the third type of deed is uh, having a child, whether a boy or, uh, or a girl who would keep making dua for you long after you are gone or you know buried underground that will also be sent to you as rewards allah will accept basically their dua even though you are dead raising a child because here's the thing in order for your child to make dua for you after you you pass away or after you die you need to teach him how to do so you need to teach him to be religious you need to teach him that they should do that long after you're gone that is knowledge, right? So again, subhanAllah, wallahi, if you think about it for a second, knowledge is in everything and the source of everything, subhanAllah. Now, let me tell you about my favorite hadith regarding knowledge. One of the most beautiful things the Prophet ﷺ, uh, said regarding knowledge. It is my favorite hadith regarding knowledge. The Prophet ﷺ said what? The Prophet ﷺ said, من سلك طريقا يبتغي فيه علما سهل الله طريقا إلى الجنة. The hadith is long, but I'm going to explain it bit by bit, little by little. The Prophet is saying, whoever went on a path to seek knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa taala will facilitate their path to paradise. من سلك طريقا يبتغي فيه علما سهل الله so if you try to obtain knowledge, if you study, if you treat, read, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos, you're trying to obtain knowledge. However, the way, by the way, there's no easy way and there's no hard way. Like reading books and watching lectures or listening to lectures, they're not that different. Everybody's different in terms of how they receive knowledge, right? Now, there's a lazy approach. You have to verify that knowledge you cannot be lazy while obtaining knowledge and when i say lazy i don't mean through a specific platform no 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 i mean you you cannot be lazy in terms of verify you have to verify 
Okay? I always say this. Always verify your source of knowledge. That's why, alhamdulillah, now, and I know that before in the early episodes, I didn't used to do that, but alhamdulillah, now I try my best to keep doing it, which is I always mention the sources. You know, the, the name of the chapter, the, the the number of the verses, all this. So you guys have an easy and a better way to verify those verses that I'm telling you. Now, so the Prophet is saying, if, you, if you're seeking a path to knowledge, and this is, by the way, knowledge in Islam, not any other knowledge, Allah will facilitate your path to paradise. Look at this. The angels, they put down their wings out of, they're being pleased with you. We're talking about you are the seeker of knowledge, you're a student of knowledge right now. So the angels out of respect and being pleased with you, they put down their wings for the seeker of knowledge. Subhanallah. وَإِنَّ الْعَالِمِ لَيَسْتَغْفِرَ لَهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ حَتَّى الْحِيْتَانِ فِي الْمَاءِ Look at this. And everything Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, they make istighfar for you. They repent on your behalf if you are a seeker of knowledge. Except for, of course, for uh, human beings because they have the choice of not uh, asking for forgiveness for you or making repentance on your behalf and a jinn of course but everything else the Prophet said including the fish in the water they guys do you imagine this is as authentic as it gets if you are trying to seek knowledge in islam and you're serious about it and you're trying to learn as much as possible about islam the Prophet is telling us everything allah created animals trees Rocks, even fish in the water. Specifically, the Prophet specified, give basically he was giving us an example. Even the fish in the water. They keep making dua for you and asking Allah to forgive you on the day of judgment. What an honor for the seeker of knowledge. Wallahi, what an honor. وَإِنَّ الْعُلَمَاءِ the, 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 the rest of the hadith وَإِنَّ الْعُلَمَاءِ وَرَثَتُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ وَإِنَّ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ لَمْ يُرَثُ دِينَارًا وَلَا دِرْهَمًا وَإِنَّمَا وُرِّثُ الْعِلْمِ فَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ أَخَذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ The Prophet is saying the seekers of knowledge are the inheritors of the prophets. Not for money, the Prophet is saying we don't have money to give you but for knowledge. We inherited knowledge. So us talking about Islam right now, learning about Islam together, we are inheriting knowledge from who? From the Prophet Of course, it's coming from Allah through the Prophet So that is what the Prophet was talking about. We are inheriting a very, the most valuable thing you can take from anyone, especially from prophets, is knowledge. And then the Prophet ended... Uh, فَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ أَخَذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ Whoever seeks knowledge and obtains knowledge, you know, successfully obtains knowledge, they won big. They won big, subhanAllah. So, this is how prophets and messengers measure winning. SubhanAllah, we measure, you know, by getting the right job, by having a big house, by having a good family, which is all halal, alhamdulillah. I know some people measure winning by doing haram stuff. But look at how 
prophets and messengers. How Prophet Muhammad specifically measures winning. Knowledge. When you successfully obtain enough knowledge, you have won big. This is according to the Prophet. So keep that in mind. Now, knowledge should make us humble. Knowledge should make us humble. For example, when you learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you learn about his attributes, the, the, the things that Allah told us that he would do and he can do, you realize how insignificant you are. You can't even compare. That should teach you humbleness. When you learn about what the angels can do, you realize how limited you are. Right? When you realize how the prophets lived their lives, you realize the shortcomings you have when it comes to worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates arrogance, you learn how to become humble and reduce this arrogance to basically 0%. When you learn that you will be buried in the dirt, that's the ending of all of us, in the dirt, buried in the dirt. No family, no money, no wealth will help. It teaches you humbleness that nothing matters in this life. So knowledge should lead to humbleness. But unfortunately, and I know even Muslims are guilty of that, sometimes knowledge leads to arrogance. You see it everywhere. You see people with knowledge talk to other people like they're better than them. Why? Because I have knowledge, you don't. This is something that is hated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So be careful. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed you with knowledge, always remember this is nothing but a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not your own doing. The source of knowledge is Allah. You did not come up with anything. Allah out of his mercy and blessings gave you some of that knowledge. So be humble. Because Allah could take that knowledge away from you. Even worse, Allah could make that knowledge be damaging to you instead of beneficial. So be humble. And wallahi, it is a sign of proper knowledge when the student of knowledge or the person who's seeking knowledge is humble. This is a sign of proper knowledge. Also, knowledge without belief is useless. That's why I said knowledge is the most powerful tool. Could be good, could be bad. It's a double-edged sword. Because without faith, knowledge could be used to do evil. Here's the thing. Knowledge with faith is beneficial to you and only to you. If you can't even benefit with your own knowledge, because you don't have faith, let's say, then it's useless. Then you literally gained nothing. As a matter of fact, when you have knowledge and you don't have faith, you will be held accountable for that knowledge that you misused or you, that you didn't want to act upon. Like, for example, if I told you, hey, my dear brothers and sisters, you need to pray five times a day or it's a major sin and all of the rest of your good deeds won't matter. This is a hadith by the Prophet Now, if you choose to, you, now you have the knowledge, right? If you still ignore what I told you and you still don't want to pray, guess what? Allah will punish you even double because you had the knowledge. Before you didn't have the knowledge, you were lazy, didn't seek knowledge. This will make you 
sinful as well. But now you have the knowledge and you didn't even want to act upon that knowledge. Oh yeah, the punishment will be severe. You know, there is this hadith by the Prophet Sallallahu uh, When he was talking about, this is a very famous hadith, when he said, uh, after the night of Isra and Ma'raj, uh, the night of ascension, uh, I mean the, the night journey and the ascension, the night of Isra and Ma'raj, he went up to the seventh heaven. We all know that. Now, the Prophet after he came back, he was talking to the companions and he said what? I was giving the permission to talk about one of the angels who will be bearing the throne. So there are eight bearers of the throne, or eight angels, magnificent in size, carrying the throne of Allah. Now we don't know if they are currently holding the throne of Allah, but we know what we know for a fact is that will they will be carrying the throne of Allah on the day of judgment to bring it down to earth. So the Prophet is saying, I was given the permission to talk about one of these angels. Then he said this very interesting hadith. He said the distance between his earlobe. And his shoulder is 700 years traveling. 700. Can you imagine how massive that angel is? One of the angels. One of a angels carrying the throne of Allah. The distance between his earlobe and his shoulder. Can you imagine? This is a short distance. If you, if you think about it, very short. Is 700 years traveling. Now, the beauty and the, the, the subhanallah, yani the story of this, just this description is magnificent. But I want to take one, there's one takeaway that I want to discuss uh, regarding this hadith. The Prophet used years to measure a distance. The Prophet didn't say it's 700 miles away, 7 million miles. No, no, no. He said it's 700 years of traveling usually people use miles kilometers inches feet whatever yards meters centimeters whatever to measure distance am i correct all right here's something that's subhanallah very fascinating and again it shows you that the prophet through quran and the sunnah was getting knowledge way ahead of his time in the year 1838, a German astronomer by the name of Friedrich Bessel, Friedrich Bessel, discovered that the measuring unit for outer space was what? You guessed it, light year. Now, light year, for those of you who don't know, is a distance equivalent to the distance that light travels in one year, which is measured by, I, I think, about 6 trillion miles. It's 6 trillion miles. Imagine this. So Friedrich Bessel discovered that the measurement unit of distance in outer space was a year, light year. Back to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Almost again, 1500 years ago, he was measuring distance, which were, where was that distance in outer space? Again, we're talking about the angels who are bearing the throne of Allah. 700 years. That is the equivalent of what we call light years today. Isn't that fascinating? No one, and I mean no one, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ used years to measure distance. 
the Prophet ﷺ introduced that concept in the Arabian Peninsula. And many, many, many years after, hundreds of years after, a German astronomer makes that quote-unquote discovery. SubhanAllah. Now, let's review some, some examples of how critical knowledge could be. And the idea of that knowledge could be a double-edged sword. First of all, like uh, we'll just take a simple, a very simple example. Knowing the truth about Allah. This is knowledge, right? Knowing the truth about the Prophet ﷺ and Islam in general leads to a non-Muslim, a disbeliever, if you want to call it, thinking about Islam. Being curious about Islam now, once they start being exposed to Islam and they start little by little, you know, learning about these things, they become curious. Now, this curiosity with more knowledge, and now it depends on your heart, and Allah is the only one who knows, you know, uh, the status of your heart. If you're a good person, if you're not a good person, if you're going to reject what you've been exposed to regarding Islam or not, Allah is the only one who knows that. Based on that, and based on more knowledge, and authentic knowledge, a person could convert to Islam, or revert to Islam. And that would lead to a complete 180 change, 180 degrees change in your lifestyle. And eventually, that, inshallah, would lead to uh, you going into paradise. Another thing, Knowing that Muslims do not enter paradise automatically. We, we, we tackled this before. The fact that you think, oh, because I'm a Muslim, I could enter paradise automatically. It's a given. I'm going to paradise. That is simply not true. And knowing that fact will make you work on yourself to become a good Muslim, a better Muslim, a believer. Because think about it this way. If people thought you becoming a Muslim will make you go to paradise. I mean, eventually you'll go to paradise. But some people think, oh, I became a Muslim now or I was born a Muslim. No matter what I do, I'm never gonna, you know, see hellfire. And we know that this is a, the, a complete false uh, statement. Muslims who do bad deeds, who do sins, who commit sins, who are, you know, uh, uh, oppressors, who do terrible things, will go to hellfire, we'll spend some time in hellfire. And by the way, when I say some time, I'm not talking about an hour or two or a day or two or even a month or two. We're talking about years and years. And it all depends on Allah. Whenever Allah wants to take you out, Allah will take you out. But the notion that Muslims by default go to paradise and they don't see hellfire, that is false. And because we know that, we work on ourselves. Being just a Muslim is not good enough. I'm telling you right now, being a Muslim is not good enough. Being a good Muslim, being a true believer, that's what matters. So again, having this knowledge makes, imagine the difference between you and someone who thinks they're automatically going to paradise. They will be lazy. They won't work on, on themselves while you work on yourself. And we're assuming that the end results will be completely different between you and the other person. So 
it's safe to say that not knowing about what we just listed about Allah, about Islam, about the Prophet وسلم, about that fact that we do not go to paradise automatically, it's safe to say that not knowing any of this would lead to you going to hellfire. Of course, unless Allah wills otherwise. Also, learning about Allah's attributes, it leads to fearing Him and exalting Him and praising Him. It again leads us to become better Muslims. If you do not know about Allah's attributes, like for example, if you don't know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees everything you do, hears everything you say, knows what's in your heart. If you don't know any of this, you're going to live a life that is basically free of consequences. You, you, you feel like, okay, Allah can't hear me. I can say whatever I want. Allah can't see me. I can do whatever I want. And my intentions could be compromised because Allah does not know what's in my heart. Knowing what we know about Allah's attributes, that he can see, hear, everything, guess what? Makes us better Muslims. And inshallah, eventually leads to paradise. As a matter of fact, learning and knowing things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, also it leads us to trusting and relying on Allah. You know, when you are in a situation, and this situation looks dire, looks really you know, a very desperate situation. Knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always with you, He's always listening to your dua, leads to you having peace, having inner peace, knowing how to deal with problems, knowing that you're not alone. Again, if you don't know any of this, you, you'll be miserable when you're being faced with hardship. Wallahi. You'll be miserable. Knowledge is key, my dear brothers and sisters. It is key to make you live a better life in this life and inshallah having a better results in the hereafter. Knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not allow injustice, that he is the ultimate just. So even if you see a situation and this situation seems to be completely you know, unbalanced when it comes to justice, know that Allah will judge the people involved if not now, on the day of judgment. Rest assured, again, that makes us feel better about certain things that are happening around the world. Also knowing about the power of dhikr or the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, you know, you could write lectures about dhikr. About, uh, by the way, dhikr means the remembrance of Allah. As a matter of fact, we will learn a lot about dhikr. I'll just keep it at that. We will learn a lot. This is, it's very powerful. Dua is part of dhikr. By the way, praying is part of dhikr. Again, dhikr equals the remembrance of Allah. If you don't have the knowledge, you won't think that remembering Allah is important or is significant. So you won't remember Allah, so you will be lost in this life and in the hereafter. Now, let's say that you know that remembering Allah is significant, but you don't know how to remember Allah. Again, with knowledge, knowing how to remember Allah, how to do dhikr, is critical for you to be able to perform all the, you know, the types of dhikr. Knowledge is, you have no idea. Again, I keep insisting on that. It is the most powerful tool a human being could ever possess. Now the downside, let's talk about the downside of knowledge. 
if you don't have sincerity, like we said, remember we said knowledge without faith is dangerous. It's useless and could be very dangerous. You know, knowledge with bad intentions, without sincerity, without purity in the heart, could lead to disasters. For example, this is from the Quran, the children of Israel. When they were offered the knowledge of magic or black magic, by who? Harut and Marut. This is in the Quran. In the cha- I believe in the chapter of Baqarah, verse number 102. We mentioned this before, by the way. I, re- I remember in the episode of the black magic, the Q&A, that was recent. وَمَا أَنزَلَ عَلَى الْمَلَكَيْنَ بِبَابِلَ هَارُوتَ وَمَارُوتَ Those are the names of the angels that Allah sent as a test for the children of Israel to learn black magic. وَمَا يُعَلِّمَانِ مِنْ أَحَدٍ حَتَّى يَقُولَ إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ فِتْنَةً فَلَا explicitly told people we're just a test for you say no do not learn do not come and ask us to learn magic if you ask us to learn magic we'll teach you that's your test but if you don't ask us then that means you pass the test uh, look at this this is key here so they, many of them, they did indeed learn black magic. They didn't care. They didn't care. By the way, fala takfur. They said we're a test. If you fail that test, you're a disbeliever. That's why anybody who practices any type of magic is a disbeliever in the sight of Allah. Now, the first thing that they learned with this black magic is to separate. They learned using black magic how to separate between a husband and a wife. Basically how to destroy a family. You see? That's an example of them using knowledge in a disastrous way to destroy families. You know, uh, politicians or media in general, you know, they use bits of information of knowledge they sprinkle their own agenda on top of it and they give you brand new knowledge that it's basically fake knowledge and they could literally change the course of an entire country, politically at least. Like what's happening right now with Palestine. The media changed. Now in the beginning, alhamdulillah, like right now people are you know waking up, alhamdulillah, people are realizing the actual truth and what's going on. But when it started, it was the narrative was what? The, 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 the Palestinians are savages, they're murderers, they did this, they did that. And the Israelis were innocent. And this led to, just recently, the murder of a six-year-old Palestinian kid. A Muslim kid. In Chicago, in the US. Palestinian family came in, emigrated. The guys read the news or watched you know, the fake news. Decided to stab a six-year-old more than 20 stabs. Actually, some reports are saying 26 stabs. Why? Because someone was watching the news and watching, oh, they did this. Oh, they did that. They're killing uh, little Israeli children, but, you know, the Israelis are not doing anything to them. They're very, you know, they're, they're innocent, but the Palestinians are, you know, oppressors and, you know, violent group and all these things. So this guy, again, it goes back to ignorance, right? Ignorant. What did ignorance do to him? It created hate. 
blind hate. And what did this blind hate do? Led to a crime. Now, it's not just about one kid here in the U.S. It's about thousands of kids who are dying in Palestine, in Gaza, dead. I've seen horrific images and horrific videos. Now, go back to the source. What made the world sit there and watch? The Israeli propaganda. Misinformation. Manipulation of the public. That's what I mean by knowledge could be an insane weapon, could be a nuclear weapon. And it could be a tool to stand against oppression. Do not underestimate knowledge, my dear brothers and sisters, do not. A government like the government of Israel, they used it, they utilized it to commit just pure evil, mass genocide, pure evil, ethnic cleansing. And the world watched because what? They, they cried in the beginning and they said, oh, we're victims, we're victims. And their PR team, like I always say, the best PR team they have, started manipulating the world. And in the beginning, the world bought into it. Then little by little, people started to realize, again, through knowledge, through seeing videos, actual live videos of children being murdered and you know having buildings and buildings collapsing on top of children and they're trying to you know, take him out of the wreckage. Then people are like, wait, wait, wait. That's not, that's not what they said. Something is wrong here. And because people now started, here's, it's, it's subhanAllah, it's, in, it's, it's very fascinating. Because people, and I'm talking about Muslims and non-Muslims. Because people started obtaining actual knowledge, facts, authentic knowledge. They started to wake up and realize the manipulation. And that is, my dear brothers and sisters, the power of knowledge. Knowledge can make you susceptible to be become you know manipulated people can manipulate you if you don't have the proper knowledge if you re- rely on fake sources for knowledge then yeah you're, you're may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide you but if you have the proper knowledge what happens you will be shielded from fake knowledge you'll be shielded from misguidance you'll be shielded from misinformation that's why i always say knowledge is the most powerful thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed us with. Use it wisely and obtain it. Do your best to obtain it. You know, people sometimes use fear to make people, uh, you know, uh, scared of Islam so they can elect them in office because those will be their, their quote-unquote protectors from this, you know, new Muslim religion or whatever. And people fall into it because people are ignorant. This is why, see, go back to the verses we talked about. Ignorance or not having knowledge would lead to misguidance by other people. Because now you're getting your facts from them. You did not do your homework. You did not actually try to research. No, you heard it from, for example, a politician. And now these are your facts. And it's complete misguidance. Subhanallah. People can also use knowledge to create the atomic bomb you know oppenheimer was in uh, you know in the, in the theaters recently 
And it's all about that. The horrors of creating the atomic bomb. This is someone with knowledge and intelligence and he used it to create a weapon of mass destruction. Now, again, we know it was a times of war or whatever, but then again, it, that knowledge is transferred to now governments who are willing to abuse it, who are willing to use it to make other nations fear them and all these things. This is a product of knowledge. And of course, our favorite, social media. The concept of creating apps that goes on social media and people can post personal things from their cameras and whatever, this is also a product of knowledge, technological knowledge. For the most part, it leads to destruction. It leads to people losing their minds and doing weird things. Sometimes you can use this to spread good, to spread things about Islam. You know what I mean? To preach Islam, to tell people the truth. But wallahi, for the most part, it's the complete opposite. And it spreads fahisha. It spreads like the worst shameful types of sins across all platforms. Again, product of knowledge. Creating chemical weapons. Listen, knowledge could be used to save a life and it could be used to end one. You know, doctors, they save people based on knowledge. Other people create weapons to end people's lives, again, based on knowledge. So at the end of the day, Allah gave us knowledge. And it's up to us how to use it. Now, the best, like I said, the best knowledge is the knowledge of the religion. That's what's going to save you in the hereafter. Like the worldly knowledge could help you out in this life. No, There's no denying that. But do you think like, for example, let's say that you are a scientist, a genius scientist, inshallah, but you don't pray. You don't read Quran. You just don't, you have no knowledge of, uh, and we, by the way, I have a section, inshallah, towards the end talking about that. But do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment when he asks you, why didn't you pray? You're going to be like, well, Allah, I was a scientist. I helped humanity. Do you think Allah is going to say, oh, oh, okay, in that case, you're forgiven? No. Allah does not care about if you become a scientist or if a, a doctor, an engineer. It doesn't matter to Allah. What matters to Allah is why he created you, which is what? Worshipping him. And how do you worship him? Gaining knowledge about him, about the religion, so you can properly worship him. Now, if while doing that, you have academic knowledge of science, of chemistry, of whatever, and you use it to help mankind... More more rewards to you, inshallah. Allah will give you more rewards. But if you go and tell Allah, oh Allah, I was a doctor and didn't have time to pray. What do you think Allah will say? Well, you failed. You failed. Your only purpose, only purpose. Can you imagine? We don't have a lot of purposes in life. Allah made it very simple for us. One purpose. Worship me. Allah is saying. Worship Allah. How do you do that? Through knowledge. A very simple formula. Wallah, it's not complicated. Now, people don't have any excuses regarding learning about Islam. You don't have any... Like some people back in the day, they used to hate reading. They can't read the Quran. They can't read the Sunnah. Not for, because they don't want to. It's just they can't read. They're not good readers. They're not big on reading. Well, guess what? In today's world, you're sitting and listening to a podcast. I'm not talking to you in person. 
and mashallah like when i read the statistics of the podcast it's like all alhamdulillah alhamdulillah bifadlallah by the blessings of allah it's all over the world it's in america in europe australia africa and and and, and like it's spreading everywhere in asia alhamdulillah so you have no excuse islam will reach you now more than it, it ever was able to before Islam will reach you. You will hear about Islam. You can easily learn from your phone. Again, this is with the big asterisks. has to be authentic sources. Watching videos, listening to podcasts, reading stuff online. You have no excuse. No ex- you have all forms of like technology, of like forms of receiving knowledge. Video, audio, and if you want to read, you can even read online now. So don't you dare on the day of judgment tell Allah, I, I could not, I couldn't find any sources about Islam. Allah made it so easy. By the way, Allah is facilitating this for you. Now, another thing about knowledge, it requires time. You have to dedicate time. There is no way you're going to obtain knowledge while you're playing a video game. Or why you're watching a movie, or why you you know hanging out with your buddies outside, or why you're walking in the streets, or why you're swimming. You need to actually dedicate time. That's why Allah praises those who seek knowledge, because you are taking your time, dedicating some of your time to gain knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and about the religion. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, by the way, will ask you. This is a known hadith. What have you done with your time? Oh Allah, I use my time to obtain knowledge and benefit others by sharing it. Inshallah, if you have this answer, you will be from the winners. Like the Prophet ﷺ said. But you spend your time learning about worldly stuff. It's not bad as long as they're halal. But if you let that trump your knowledge of Islam... Then you are now the opposite from the losers. You know, like for example, if I ask all of you right now, who, which one of you knows Harry Potter? Who is Harry Potter? I'm pretty sure, and I'm very confident, inshallah, that the overwhelming majority of you know who Harry Potter is. And if I ask you, what do you know about him? Tell me anything you know about him. I'm pretty sure that, again, the overwhelming majority of you will have something to say about him, whether from the books or from the movies. Now, if I ask you this, what do you guys know about Zayd ibn Haritha? What do you know about Sa'd ibn Mu'adh? Who was Abu Musa al-Ash'ari? Nothing. Inshallah, many of you know. But if you're talking about the rest of the world, by the way, I'm not talking to you guys, you know, uh, the listeners here. I'm talking, I'm giving, I'm, I'm using you as an example or a sample of the real world. You go ask the real world, what do you know about them? Nothing. Nothing. So, according to Allah, do you think those people, the companions, are more important or Harry Potter, a fictional wizard character? Yet, 
the majority of the world, the overwhelming majority of the world, including the Muslim world, they know way more about Harry Potter, about the Avengers, about God knows the Justice League, about whatever, more than they know about real characters, real heroes from the Islamic history, those who supported the religion with the Prophet And that is the sad reality. By the way, I know about Harry Potter. I know about the Avengers. I actually know way more about the Avengers than any of my average friends. However, that will never, inshallah, by the will of Allah, will never trump my knowledge in Islam. I'm always, alhamdulillah, by, by the blessings and the fadl of Allah, I'm always seeking knowledge. I'm always researching, always listening to lectures. Always trying to, you know, download new books. I'm trying to increase my... And inshallah, I shall never stop until the day I die. Inshallah. That to me is more important. The other stuff, yeah, it's, I know it. That's fine. I, I'm interested in these things sometimes. So it's fine. But if this is all you know, and then when I ask you something about the religion, you're like, I don't know. That is a big problem in the sight of Allah. So anyway... So that is, you know, again, um, we need to be careful when it comes to uh, our uh, worldly knowledge. At the end of the day, yes, we have worldly knowledge, it's fine. But what's more significant, and you cannot let it compromise. That worldly knowledge cannot compromise your religious knowledge. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, those who obtain worldly knowledge and ignore religious knowledge are the worst type of people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of a room, verse number seven. Dunya wa hum hum ghafilun. Do you know everything about this life? Allah's explaining the worst type of people. Those who know everything about this life. You ask them about medicine, they have knowledge. You ask them about politics, they have knowledge. Technology, they know. Ask them about religion, nothing. Nothing. They know nothing. They're completely oblivious regarding their hereafter. So, be careful. Be careful of getting too busy with learning about this life and ignoring and being oblivious to your hereafter. And the only way, again, the only way to learn about your hereafter is how? Through learning about your religion, Islam. Now, I want to also mention something uh, regarding sincerity when it comes to knowledge. If you do not have sincerity, if you're not eager to learn about Islam, you will never learn because knowledge is not going to come to you and keep knocking on your door. Please learn about Islam. No, Allah presented you. The knowledge is there. It's out there. You can seek it whenever you want. You're being lazy about it. You're being insincere. Mm, that's on you. And Allah will judge you based on that. Like I want to I give you this example. And by the way, I'm giving this example because it happened to me. So my oven broke down. It stopped working. So put yourself in my situation now. If you have something critical, in, in like an appliance in the house, like again, like the oven, uh, 
and it stopped working. What do you do? First of all, you're going to go online and try to figure out what's the issue. Well, my oven, like for example, my oven, and that happened a few days ago, was not heating up. The, 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 it was not heating up enough. And it took like forever to reach a certain temperature, which was not even a high temperature. So what, what did I do? And I'm pretty sure this is what everybody else would do. I went online, looked up, okay, my oven is not heating up. It's taking forever to heat up. What's the issue? And then I read a couple of suggestions online. Could be the igniter, you know, uh, could be based on, it could be the, um, whatchamacallit, the, the burners, whatever. You will read and try to figure out what fits your, and again, that doesn't mean you can easily, okay, another route you could take is actually call someone to come see your oven, Right? You call a professional to come and fix it ASAP. Because again, oven, you need to cook food. Uh, you need to heat up some stuff. And that's your only way to do that. So you need to fix it ASAP. Right? And subhanAllah, once it's fixed, you feel relieved. Right? But the point is, we were freaking out because the oven stopped working. And we needed to find a solution ASAP. If I couldn't do it myself, I was going to call someone to come and fix it for me. There's no that, that that was the only option. I was not gonna compromise not having an oven for a long time. Right? Now, when it comes to the religion, and if you feel like you're lacking knowledge in your religion, are you that anxious? Are you that eager to learn and fix the problems you have when it comes to knowledge about your religion? You have to ask yourself that question. See, we in worldly stuff, and again, it all depends. Like if if uh, a fridge, uh, oven, uh, you know, something that it's technically essential. If it breaks down, you want to do whatever it takes. What is more essential in your life than your religion, than your hereafter? Wallahi, nothing is. And nothing will ever be. So when you find yourself lacking knowledge, hurry up. Find a way to obtain knowledge. Find a way to fix yourself and the lack of knowledge that you have about your religion. It's that simple, Wallahi. We freak out about certain things. And again, yes, essential things in life, in our worldly stuff, in our homes, whatever. We freak out. If I lose my job tomorrow, what am I going to do? Apply for jobs. Go look for jobs online. Go apply, apply, apply. I'm going to be freaking out. But then if I realize that there's a lot of things that I don't understand about my religion, that I'm lacking so much regarding the knowledge of my religion, that I'm compromising my hereafter because I don't have enough knowledge regarding my religion, do I freak out enough? Do I try to find a quick solution and a very solid, accurate solution for my, my issues or my, my lack of uh, knowledge by obtaining knowledge? I don't know. Do I? Do you? We have to answer these questions. You know, we have it really easy in, in today's world. And like I said, don't come and say, oh, well, you know, it's very difficult to obtain authentic knowledge. You, you can't say that. Like I said, you have it so easy. We have it very easy right now. 
again, online, you can go online, watch videos, listen to podcasts, read books, ebooks online. You could do anything you want to obtain knowledge and you can verify whether it's authentic or not. We have it very easy. Do you guys know? Let me, let me tell you this. During the time of the companions, do you know how the companions used to gain knowledge? Let me show you how difficult it was during their time so can you can appreciate your situation right now. The companions used to have, by the way, used to do labor work. We work now in offices, on our computers, for the most part, right? We have AC in our office. When it's cold, we have you know heat, all these things. The companions used to work hard. Labor work in the heat of the desert, farmers, shepherds, you name it. Now, when it came a time to attend lectures by the Prophet like Umar ibn al-Khattab, for example, whenever he wanted to attend a lecture by the Prophet he would swap with his neighbor. So he would go attend the lecture and his neighbor would go to work. And then the next day, his neighbor would go attend the lecture and Umar ibn al-Khattab would go to work. Then they meet up after that and they discuss what they learned from one another. For example, Abdul Khattab tells him, well, in today's lecture, the Prophet said this and this and that. And then the, the neighbor would say, well, in, in my lecture, the Prophet said, said this and this and that. And they would share knowledge. That's how the companions used to do it. Because some might say, well, how did they have time attending all the lectures, all the teachings, all the getting all the knowledge from the Prophet Wasallam and work at the same time? They were not privileged like us that you can put a headphone on or you know an earpiece and listen to lectures for hours. They did not have that privilege. They used to swap and then sit together and discuss and exchange information or you know knowledge about Islam. So never complain about your you know lack of time and being unable to obtain knowledge. It's invalid. It's invalid wallahi. You know, unfortunately in today's world we have this weird notion of science versus religion or government that's supporting science but not supporting religion. You know, this concept of science versus religion it's actually kind of a modern concept. Wallahi it is. That concept never existed in the Muslim world for about 14 and a half centuries. 14 and a half centuries The concept of science versus religion never existed As a matter of fact, religion supported science and vice versa There was never a contradiction You know, you extrapolate something from the Quran, from the Sunnah And then you build a science case about it And you try to invent and create And again, religion used to support science And science used to support religion Like for example I'm going to give you a few names. And for those of you who don't know, look up those names. The first name is Al-Khwarizmi. Again, Al-Khwarizmi. He actually invented algebra. He invented algebra. He was a Muslim scholar who invented the concept of algebra. Ibn Sina invented medicine. He's actually called the father of early modern medicine. Now, some might say it's actually Hippocrates. It's not Ibn Sina, it's Hippocrates. No. Hippocrates, because of the 
knowledge from Ibn Sina was called the father of modern medicine, not modern early medicine, which shows you that Ibn Sina came first. Jabir ibn Hayyan invented chemistry. These are all practicing Muslim scholars. They combined their religion with science. They never separated in their researches. They never did. Because here's the thing. In modern science, arrogance increased. And that, by the way, includes even some Muslims, unfortunately. If you're a scientist, if you discovered something big, like, for example, the scientists who discovered the atom. In, in, in today's world, they tell themselves, well, I discovered the atom. Why do I have to pray? Why do I have to prostrate? I discovered the atom. Arrogance. I'm not talking, by the way, I'm not taking a stab at John Dalton, who, you know, was one of the early scientists who basically his researches led to the discovery that, you know, Adam exists and all these things. But my point is, I'm just giving you an example. Arrogance increased. And that's why when Muslims invented algebra, chemistry, astronomy, you name it, now you don't see anything coming out of that Islamic world. Why? Simply because they split up science and religion. They said, uh, no, they don't have to complete one another. They don't have to support one another. Science is one thing. Religion is something else. You know, you know what? Do you guys know this? The first English translation of the Quran was done by Robert of Ketton. Robert of Ketton. Ketton is a, actually a, it's a, it's a place, it's a city in, uh, in the UK, who was a medical student in Toledo. Now, Toledo is in Spain. And as many of you know, uh, Muslims used to uh, uh, rule uh, Spain. And because of that, Toledo was a city basically that had both Muslims and Christians. And in it, in order for you to look, look how mind-blowing this is, Wallahi. In order for you to learn medicine, you had to go to Toledo to learn Arabic because you cannot learn medicine without learning Arabic. Again, because Ibn Sina was the one who invented medicine in Arabic. Do you, do you guys, can you fathom this? You know, a lot of people from the Middle East, from the Muslim world, they come to the West. They, they go to Europe, they come to the US to learn medicine. That was the opposite. The whole situation shifted now. It's com the complete opposite. Muslims are the ones, Ibn Sina again was the one who discovered medicine, who created the science of medicine. And he actually, his book was well known uh, called Ashifa, The Healing. And it was about 17 volumes. Can you imagine this? His book was about 17 volumes. And people from all over the world, specifically Europe, used to go to Toledo to learn Arabic so they can study the books of Ibn Sina. Can you imagine? And by the way, the this book, Ashifa, or The Healing, was actually the standard textbook for medicine for more than 300 years. More than 300 years. Now, let me go back to the story of Robert of Ketton. So Robert of Ketton was a medical student in Toledo. He was doing the same thing. He was in Toledo trying to learn Arabic so he can study the books of Ibn Sina. 
Now, when the Crusaders began in Jerusalem, the Pope asked for someone to translate the Quran. He wanted to basically understand, okay, the Muslims now were at war with the Muslims. I want to learn more about their religion. So they sent Robert of Ketan. Again, he's coming from the, the city of Ketan. And he, he was already a medical student there. So they sent him, they funded him basically, and they sent him to uh, Toledo, to Spain, so he could learn Arabic and translate the Quran, study the Quran while, again, he's a medical student. And he did. Again, he's the first English translation of the Quran was made by him. Can you imagine how advanced we were as a Muslim nation? Because we combined the knowledge of the religion with the knowledge of science. Because look at us now. What happened to the Muslims when it comes to academic science, by the way, secular science? Nothing. We separated science and religion. We started now following the concept of science versus religion. Because here's the thing. When the split happened, the people who studied the religion did not study secular sciences. They didn't. They, they wanted now to focus on the religion. They don't want to go and study secular sciences. And the people who studied secular sciences, they focused on you know academics and all these things, and they left the religion. And it be, that created a big gap between both scholars. Now, religious scholars, when they go and talk to those scientists, they are completely dismissed. Because to me, as a scientist, it's all about theory. It's all about probabilities. It's all about you know equations. And I don't have time for belief and all these things. Well, why? That's what happened. And by the way, it still happens until this day. Scientists became too ignorant, completely ignorant of the basics of religion. Now, go back to the first verse we discussed in, in the beginning of the episode. Iqra bismi rabbika. The first couple of verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet ﷺ were about what? Remember? Angel Jibreel told the Prophet ﷺ, read and recite from the book of Allah. Gain knowledge about the religion. Gain knowledge about Allah and also gain academic knowledge, worldly knowledge. Both. Do you see this? The combination is in the first, I believe, four or five verses in the Quran that were ever revealed. But we decided to separate and you see this sadly in today's world people don't want to admit and i'm talking about the west specifically people don't want to put their children in an islamic school because they're scared of the academic teachings there or the academic education there that it's not you know uh on the same level of public schools now those parents jeopardize the the religion of their children when you go to a public school and then you learn that you know accept all i think what three thousand genders now they discovered or god knows what and accept certain things that are haram god doesn't exist never talk about god all this because you want them to be better at math better at chemistry and completely now, I know that some parents try, those who put their kids in public school, they take them to Sunday school, they try to balance it out. But I'm talking to those who are complaining about academics. That's what we're doing right now. Religion and science, unfortunately, do not exist in today's world together. There has to be some sort of a weird animosity between the two. 
and that contradicts the first five verses that were ever revealed to the Prophet during the, again the birth of Islam. When Angel Jibreel said, "Iqra' bismi Rabbika ladhi khalaq khalaq al-insana min alaq iqra' wa Rabbuka al-akram al-ladhi allama bil qalam allama al-insana ma lam yalam." Learn about Allah, the Creator of everything, the the one who created you, and Allah who taught regular sciences, regular knowledge, worldly knowledge to mankind. Learn both. But guess what? Religion comes first. Combine the two. But even when you combine the two, you have to start with the religion because it is the most critical. And again, it literally dictates whether you live eternity in hellfire or paradise. Your knowledge is the cause of you. Well, it leads to one of the two things. Either knowledge leads you to paradise, if you act upon it, of course, or the lack of it, or knowing and not acting upon it will lead you to hellfire. You tell me, is it more critical and more important to learn about math or about the religion? The religion, but it doesn't have to be either or. That is my point. It does not have to be either or. It could be both, but still focus on the religion more. You hear about stories of people traveling all over the world to obtain knowledge, to learn medicine, going to Europe, going to God knows where. But then you meet those people, mashallah, geniuses in medicine, geniuses in engineering, geniuses in whatever, you name it. Ask them about the religion. I'm talking about Muslims. Ask them about the religion. Zero. None. And non-Muslims who are very smart, subhanAllah, because by the way, one of the reasons why there was this concept of science versus religion is because scientists thought that they were too smart for the religion. And you ask them about God and be like, really, you believe in the unseen, things that are angels flying around us? Really, what are those fairy tales? <laughs> SubhanAllah. Again, they have the concept of, I have to see it to believe it. But then you ask them, look, look at this. You ask those people. If you t- switch on you know, the lights, you switch, if you switch the lights on, and you tell them, do you believe there is electricity? And, and you, know, you have the light on. They say yes. And you ask them, have you seen the electric currents? Can, can you see them traveling in the wires? No, but I know they existed. How? You can't see them. It's hypocrisy, I guess. I don't know. It's just very, very interesting. Very interesting. So be careful regarding yourselves and regarding your children. Learning the religion is essential. And there is no reason why you can't combine religion and science. Again, Islam started as both together. That's why all the Muslim scientists flourished and invented insane things that now we take for granted. Because they combined both. They never compromised their religion for the sake of the science. Now, here comes a very important question. Who is better in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? A scholar or a very devoted worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Again, you have two types of of Muslims, let's say. Someone who's worshiping day and night, but he does not have that knowledge, that intense, you know, deep knowledge of Islam and theology and fiqh and seerah and all these, 
you know, branches of knowledge and sharia. But he or she are very devoted in their worship. They're sincerely praying, you know, five times a day. They fast, they pay zakat, all these things. Or do you have, on the other hand, a, a, again, a worshiper, a devoted worshiper, but added to that knowledge. Someone who knows, for example, when they're praying, what happens during the prayers. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at you. Right, that you know, uh, whenever you recite Al Fatiha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds back to you during you reciting Al Fatiha during prayers. That you the closest you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is when you do sujood, prostration. So now again, measure on that a lot of you know acts of worship. So of course the answer is someone who is a worshipper but a knowledgeable. Let's say, for example, a you know, a student of knowledge or a scholar or someone who possesses knowledge. And to affirm that and to basically, you know, prove that, yes, a someone with knowledge is definitely better in the sight of Allah than, you know, a worshiper without knowledge. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a hadith, Look at this. The Prophet ﷺ said, the scholar compared to a regular worshiper is like me compared to the least religious of you. He was talking to the companions. Again, is, can you imagine this? A scholar, and by the way, when I say someone knowledgeable, not necessarily a scholar, again, it could be someone who is a student of knowledge, someone who possesses a lot of knowledge about Islam, any type of knowledge, right? So the, 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 the person with knowledge compared to a, a worshiper without, and we're talking about a worshiper here, not someone who does not pray. That's, that person is on a different level, a very, very low level in Islam. But we're talking about a worshiper, someone who always you know, performs the acts of worship. But compared to a scholar, the scholar is like the Prophet ﷺ compared to the least religious companion. Obviously, the gap is, is huge and, and, and massive, right? So it shows you the significance of knowledge. And again, also another thing is, uh, someone with knowledge will, will know how to fight the temptations of shaitan. Someone with knowledge will know how to navigate that and how to successfully, or again, to their best, uh, fight the temptations of shaitan. So don't just you know uh, be satisfied and content with being just a worshiper. It won't get you anywhere. Wallahi, it won't get you anywhere. Yes, inshallah, you shall be uh, you know, rewarded for all your uh, the acts of worship. However, when you are faced with tests, being a worshiper alone won't help you, won't save you because you need knowledge to be patient. You need knowledge to fight that test. Am I wrong here? Like if you think about it logically, how are we, we going to know how to know? We mentioned this in the beginning. How to utilize Islam, how to utilize the Quran, the Sunnah, to have a better life and a better hereafter, it all comes with knowledge. And to further, you know, uh, to have a further proof of, of of the idea of, you know, knowledge versus just worshiping, we all know the famous story of the man who killed 99 people. And that happened during the time of the children of Israel, way before the time of the Prophet But the Prophet told us that story in an authentic hadith. And he told us that, you know, that man, uh, literally killed 99 people Now he was uh, He was like Equivalent Again of a, a Average Muslim Or even below Average Muslim But he believed in Allah He believed in God And he followed the prophet Of the time 
Okay, so he's not like a disbeliever. He wasn't a disbeliever, but of course he was a murderer. He was what you can call today a serial killer, uh, if you want to call it. And he killed 99 people. And he went to uh, uh, like a temple uh, and asked a worshiper there, what should he do? Like, he's like, I, I murdered 99 people. What should I do? Uh, I, 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 is there any chance, you know, for me uh, to be forgiven? And the worshiper said, no, are, are you crazy? It's too late for you. You killed 99 people and you think it, there are no consequences. It's just, you're going to get away with this. Of course not. So what happened? He killed him. He killed that worshiper and became number hundred now. So he literally went to that worshiper and said, Hey, is there any chance for me? You know, any salvation, anything like that? And then the worshiper said no. So what he did, he killed that worshiper, and now he killed or murdered a uh, hundred people. Then he kept looking for help, and he went. Uh, he came across now a knowledgeable person, uh, not just a worshiper, someone who is you can call a scholar. And he asked a scholar. He said what? He said I murdered a hundred people now, and I don't know what to do. Is it too late for me? And of course, look at the difference now. The scholar said, it's never too late, which what we always say, because it is a fact. It's only too late after you die. That's it. The moment you die or during the moment of death for you, that is when it's too late. You can't do anything about it. But right before then, wallahi, if it's five minutes left, it's never too late. So the scholar knew that, knew what we already know here. And he told him, it's never too late. But you have to take action, right? Remember that story. He said you have to take action. You can't just want to repent. For those who say, I want to be good, but I, I can't. So would Allah give me the rewards of trying to be good just by my intentions? No. Now, if you're about to do something and you were stopped for any reason other than yourself, maybe. Like, for example, if you want to pay charity, and if you had the intention to pay charity, and you went on your way to pay charity and you died, then inshallah you shall get the reward for that. You didn't pay it, but you had the intention, right? And if you have the intention to do good, but you don't do it because of any reason, you still get some reward. Not the full reward, of course. You get some reward for you know uh, having the intention to do good. So now for those who say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm doing a lot of sins. I'm a, I'm a sinner. And I want to be good, but that's about it. Allah knows your intention. And if you have the true, sincere intention, then you're going to do something about it. So again, back to the story. That uh, scholar told the, the, that killer, he said what? You have to do something about it. Wanting, wanting to be good is, is great, but you have to do something about it. Leave the town that you live. So obviously the town that he was in was a corrupt town. And it probably pushed him to become a killer. So he said, leave that. And by the way, we can take from this a very important lesson. If you are in a corrupt environment and it's overwhelming, leave that environment. Leave that environment for the sake of yourself and your own family. Otherwise, again, like I said, you can you think you can fight corruption, but you might end up being corrupted because, again, it's the norm and it's the majority. So that's what the scholar, again, told that killer. He said, leave that society and go to a good town and worship Allah there and repent for the rest of your life. What happened? The man took, uh, he's packed his bags, let's say, and then he started, he moved from his town. And on the way, he died. And we know the story. Uh, when he died uh, midway, he was closer 
to the corrupt town than he was to the good town that he was traveling to. Uh, and of course, the angels uh, of uh, mercy and the angels of punishment. We talked about this during the death uh, series. Uh, the angels of punishment, they come and take the wicked soul. The, angel of, the angels of mercy, they come and they take the soul of the righteous people. Now, they both came down and Allah had a wisdom to, to manifest and show us his mercy. He made that situation take place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent both angels. So now they were confused, like which one should take him? He didn't do any good, but he was on his way to do good, right? He had the intention and he started working towards, like what I said, you were trying to pay charity, you were on your way to pay charity and you passed away. Same exact example, technically. So Allah, so they basically, by a command of Allah said what? Let's measure the distance between this body and the two cities. And if he's closer to the good city, the angels of mercy will take his soul. If he's closer to the evil city, then the angel, that I mean, he didn't do hard enough. He didn't work hard enough to get to a better place. And it's, again, it's physical. That's exactly what happened, but it's also a metaphor to us being lazy and slacking. But because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a mercy from Allah. Look at this. He sh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shrunk the distance between that guy's body, remember, he was closer to the evil city, but Allah shrunk the distance between his body and the good city or the good town. Can you imagine? Allah commanded earth to shrink. So when they measured it, they found that the man's body was closer to the good town and they basically took his soul to a good place. And again, some... I know this always this question pops up. Why would Allah do all of this? Why is this measurement and all this? Allah has his rituals. My dear brothers and sisters, Allah has his rituals. And through the rituals, through us knowing those rituals, we learn a lot about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We learn a lot about the concept of forgiveness. We learn a lot about repentance. If that story didn't take place, you wouldn't know that you had to work for uh, your, you know, for you had to work for uh, for yourself to become better You had to work on yourself You had to not just have the intentions Actually to do the work You wouldn't know that Allah subhanahu wa is more merciful Than he's angry at you All of these things So again, I want the point of the whole story is The man with knowledge Was able to help that man, the, the killer That man who was just a worshiper Ended up getting killed because he didn't know any better, and he uh, basically uh, gave the wrong verdict. He said, you will never be forgiven. It's too late for you. So that is the difference. Now, I want to end with this, inshallah, because I know we already took too long, but this is a very, very critical topic. Inshallah, I hope that we all benefit from it, inshallah, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. You have a responsibility, like I said, regarding knowledge. And that responsibility goes to your family first. You have to make sure that your family, get they get the right knowledge. They receive the right knowledge. Even through you or through someone else, but you have to make sure that your children are properly taught the religion, are properly taught to never compromise the religion, to never compromise their relationship with Allah. And then your siblings, you, you know, your, your, again, your, your, your immediate family, like wife, husband, children, or parents. If they, again, some parents, they might lack knowledge and Allah bless you with knowledge. So you can, again, in a very polite and understanding way, convey that knowledge to them. 
your friends, your circles, you know, extended family members. You have a responsibility when you have knowledge to convey it to your loved ones or the Muslims around you. However, have good manners when you're conveying knowledge. Do not get frustrated quickly. Do not get upset quickly. Do you understand? Because when you do that, what happens? You'll be pushing people away from gaining that knowledge. Instead of them you know, being eager to learn more, now they don't want to learn it from you because you have a weird attitude or you're very you know, um, on edge when they don't get something, you're not patient enough with them. Be like, again, learn from the Prophet ﷺ. Be patient. Convey the message. Do not expect an immediate change. Do not expect him to immediate. The, the, the Prophet ﷺ, again, used to repeat himself three times. Three times in case if someone didn't understand what he said, in case if someone was not paying attention. Be patient. And it's not about competition. That's another problem that we have. Yes, invest in your children. But because I see this, again, happening in, in uh, most of our uh, Islamic communities. Parents would push their children to go and memorize the Qur'an. Young, very young children. They don't even understand what they're saying or what they're memorizing. My son had memorized the Qur'an. My daughter has memorized the Qur'an. And they do parties and all these things. And it's all beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. However, understanding the Qur'an is far more significant than just memorizing it. Because wallahi, I've seen a live example of people who are memorizing the whole Qur'an, but they do terrible things. Terrible things. Because memorizing the Qur'an without understanding it, what's the benefit of that? Again, good for you. May Allah reward you for at least memorizing the Qur'an. However, if your actions are contradicting to the Qur'an because you did not understand the Qur'an, then what's the use of that? You know, a companion by the name of Abu Abdul Rahman al-Salmi, he made a very beautiful and very interesting statement. He said what? We used to memorize 10 verses in the Qur'an or from the Qur'an. Then understand them, talk about them, analyze them, discuss all these things and live by them. Basically apply those 10 verses in our lives. Then move on to the next 10. Then again, memorize them, understand them, make sure that you know we live in by them, then move on to the next 10 and the next 10. Do you see the difference between that generation? By the way, he was not from the companions. He was from the tabi'un, which is the generations that followed the companions. And that's how they used to memorize the Quran, 10 verses, understand, analyze, apply. Than 10 verses That is the difference between the companions The tabi'un And our generations And again it makes sense That's how you should learn the Quran That's how you should learn the religion Understand it Understand it It makes a difference Quran could be taken out of context Without the lens of interpretation Without the sunnah interpreting The events or the incident Like take for example The chapter of Tawbah verse number 5 the very famous verse that every Islamophobe uses to say that Islam is a very violent religion. 
The verse that says فَإِذَا سَلَخَ الْأَشْهُرُ الْحُرُمْ فَاقْتُلُوا الْمُشْرِكِينَ حَيْثُ وَجَدْتُمُوهُمْ وَخُذُوهُمْ وَاحْصُرُوهُمْ وَاقْعُدُوا لَهُمْ كُلِّ مَرْصَدٍ They're saying that this verse shows that God, Allah, the God of the Muslims is telling them to lay down in the shadows for the disbelievers, for the infidels and then kill them when you get the chance. Wallahi, by the way, they use this verse. Go to any anti-Islam, Islamophobic, they always use this verse. Before I understood what the verse meant, before I studied, I used to be like, huh, that is very, I know that this was, that must be taken out of context. But if someone came to me and you know confronted me about this verse, I would have not be able to say anything because I don't know what it means. Then I studied the biography of the Prophet ﷺ and I learned why or the causes or the reasons of this specific revelation. You know, when the Prophet ﷺ was going to perform Hajj, the people of Quraysh did not want to leave their homes. Did not want to leave their homes. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet ﷺ, go and give them four months, a period of four months to either Leave so you can go and perform Hajj or convert to Islam if they want to. If they don't want to, they can leave. Again, they have the freedom of choice to leave. No one is forced to become a Muslim. Leave. Because by the way, the area of the Kaaba, this is the area of Allah. This is the house of Allah. Now, it's not an actual, it's a metaphor that it is basically a house of worship. It's not actually, Allah does not have a house that contains him, just to make that clear. But my point is, this is a holy land. A holy place in Islam that was built by Prophet Abraham. So they don't have the right to go live there and bother the Muslims, and you know the Muslims being worried about them being attacked. So the Allah was out of the mercy. Wallahi, look at this. Give them four months to think about it, contemplate. If they wanna uh, convert to Islam, they're more than welcome. If they don't want to and they're going to bother you, they're going to refuse to move, then go and fight them. And in the fighting, in the battle, a declared battle, a declared war, you can kill them. You know, surround them. Allah is telling basically the Prophet how to plan the battle. But it's a battle not to like hide in the shadows and try to assassinate all the infidels, all the non-Muslims. This is bogus. And guess what? (laughs) This is the funny part about the whole thing. The Prophet ﷺ and the companions, they entered Mecca, they conquered Mecca, they performed Hajj without a single drop of blood. But then the funny thing is, they keep using that verse that was never applied, and even if it were, it would have been well justified. Declared war. And that is the danger of twisting knowledge. And that is the goodness of you having knowledge so you can battle this fake narrative of, oh, we know that Islam is a violent religion or whatnot. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Wallahi, it is the most powerful tool you can use to battle ignorance. Or unfortunately, evil people can use to spread ignorance. Again, we can talk about knowledge for hours, wallahi. But, you know, we spent enough time on, on the topic. So I hope that, you know, you guys, alhamdulillah, uh, you know, are able to benefit from this. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.